Would you take your Bibles and turn to John 21? We'll read our text and then you can have a seat. John 21. And I'm going to put the end of last week, 19, with it, and we'll read uh, from 19 to the end of the chapter. So this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Good morning. I'm glad you're here today. It's always dangerous when Doke does math, but I did verify my math last night and this morning. This is Sermon 125 that started almost three years ago. It took us about three years to do this. I averaged somewhere around with research, writing, uh, studying and reviewing and all of that kind of stuff, anywhere from about 25 to 30 hours a week by the time I get up here. And so looking back on that, I've done about 3,125 hours of research in all of this, of writing, outlining, reviewing, everything. Um, this is where I really needed to check my math, and so I plugged it into an engineering formula to make sure it was all right. I have spent a total of 130 days over the last three years studying the Gospel of John. And what's amazing about that is that I feel like I don't really know it the way that I could. That's the thing about God's Word. It's that deep, it's that significant, it's so powerful that there's no way we could ever exhaust it. I've told several people over the last several weeks... I'd just be fine in a couple of weeks to just start it all over again because I think that there's things probably that we didn't even notice the first time through that. So I preach about, be nice, about 50 minutes a week, 45 to 50 minutes a week. So I have preached almost four straight days if I didn't stop to eat or do anything else, um, about 6,250 minutes of preaching this gospel. It has been amazing if you've been here. Some of you uh, have been here the whole time. Some of you got in later on, but it has been, for me, incredibly transformative, and we will um, technically finish it up today. We're going to go back and over the next several weeks and review some of the major themes that run through this. They are so important that we need to do that so we're going to take about three more weeks after, after today. And so, so this is the end of the verse by verse, but we are going to review a few things. As we finished last week, 
Jesus is dealing with Peter, and he's dealing with Peter over the three denials that he had. Peter's going to be the leader of the early church, and so for this to come to a good understanding among the apostles and others who know about Peter's bold denials of the Lord, he's going to need restoration. And by the way, this is what broken people need. Even broken people who are followers of Jesus, they need restoration. They need Jesus to come and face-to-face communicate and share His heart with them to restore them. Because, Because I know this to be true about Jesus. He never wants us to stay where we are. His heart is is that we would move deeper into Him and we would move beyond even some of the things that we have chosen to do that are not God-honoring. And we seem to sometimes get stuck in those. And so He comes and He calls us forth so that we will move forward in that. And so as it finished last week, Jesus said to Peter, Do you love me three times? First time He said, Do you love me more than these? And And what he was pointing to about these is Peter had gone back to his life of fishing. They were supposed to meet him on the mountainside, but they're at the lake, and Peter suggests to everybody that's with them, let's go fishing. They go fishing. Jesus shows up on the shore. They catch nothing that night because they're not where they're supposed to be. And it's a great illustration that we don't do anything without him, and when we do things without him, we don't catch anything. And then he calls out to them and says, cast your nets out on the other side of the boat. They cast their nets out on the other side of the boat. And what was zero all night long after casting and casting and casting nets, all of a sudden in one casting becomes 153 fish. And it says they were large fish, the Greek word that's there in John 21. And so the picture is is, uh, the average fish in the Sea of Galilee today is about three pounds. Um, And so this is a huge, or excuse me, it's two pounds. This is a huge haul. This is at least 300 pounds of fish, including the nets. And so this incredible thing, they get on the shore. Jesus talks with Peter, and he begins this restoration process. And he asks him, do you love me? Because here's the essence for everybody in the room this morning. The bottom line about Christianity is this, is do we love Jesus? That's the bottom line of Christianity. Do we love him? It's clear he loves us, right? It's clear he loved us. He gave His life. He gave His Son. He came. He, he was here. He bore our sin. He died as a substitute in our place. It's clear that He loves us. He pursues us in our sin. He, and so the question, though, comes is, do we love Him? And that is the essence of things. And do we love Him more than money? Do we love Him more than our hobbies? Do we love Him more than sports? Do we love Him more than our house? Do we love Him more than everything we are to love Him more? And How do you know if you love Him more? Well, one of the ways you can tell what we love is to see whom we serve. What are we giving our time to more than anything? And today we will see that loving Him is going to involve deep sacrifice. We'll be reminded of that. And we will also be reminded um, today that loving Him means following Him no matter what. So let's walk through what we just read a while ago. And there's an important principle. It's interesting as this finishes. It's been incredibly high in regard to we've been lifted to highest heights of these incredible teachings of Jesus. And I love how the gospel ends. It just ends with dealing with humanity, dealing with people, Jesus in the midst of people who are broken and confused, 
who are out doing something that they're not supposed to be, they're where they're not supposed to be, and Jesus stepping into that to bring them back and call them back to himself. So let's read the text again. Look with me and let's just read 20 through 22 again so we can make sure we get the context and we'll just read the first part of verse 22. So 21, 20. So Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following. Let's stop there just for a second. We assume, and it's been pretty clear, we believe this is John. So he's going to turn. John never names himself and identifies himself, but we're pretty sure this is John, the writer of this. So Peter turns and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. And the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who it is that is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? What about him? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Let's talk about this one. This is very important. This is probably where we'll spend the majority of our time this morning. This is one that we need to learn. Very important one to learn. And here's the first principle. God's plan for us is that you and I keep our eyes on him. We are not to fix our eyes on other people. We are to fix our eyes on Jesus himself. Now, this does not mean that we don't learn from other people because obviously we do. We do community together. But the point here is, is that for each and every one of us, Christ has a will for us. And for most of us, God's will is the same for us. It is to follow him, obey him. But what that looks like in regard to our job, where we live and how tall we are and who we know and all of these kind of things, it is going to be quite different, is it not? It's going to be. So he's calling us to keep our eyes fixed mainly on him, not on others. So it appears now that Jesus has gotten up from the fire. He's kind of walking away from breakfast. Peter gets up with him and is following him. By the way, he maybe is like, okay, I'm going to follow everything you say now. Jesus has just said, follow me. He gets up, Jesus walks away, and Peter starts following. And as he starts following Jesus, he sees, maybe out of his peripheral vision, whatever the case may be, that John is coming up close to them. And so Peter sees that, and he knows that John now is directly near. He's just been told what's going to happen to him. He's going to die a martyr. He's going to be crucified, just like Jesus was crucified. And so can you imagine the initial thoughts that are in Peter's mind in that moment? Wow. He's trying to wrap his mind around what he has just been told. You're going to die a martyr and you follow me anyway. You walk with me. He's thinking of this. He sees John. And in a moment of great honesty, he says, Lord, what about this man? Now I just want to talk about this man for a second. John's not John in this moment. He's this man. And he's kind of lost sight, taking his eyes off Jesus. He sees John. John is his friend. If you don't think they're friends, read the first five chapters of the book of Acts. These are intimate men together. Doing ministry, proclaiming, teaching, leading the church. And now in this moment, he's like, this man. It seems as if Peter asked this question. Not be out of great concern for John. Oh, how is John going to die a martyr? 
It seems to be, based on Jesus' response, that Peter's asking this question by way of comparison. What's going to be, well, if, that's, if this is going to be my fate, what's going to be the fate that's going to be for John? And in that moment, he takes his eyes off of what Jesus has just told him, and he places his focus on John. Now, has not Peter learned this lesson already? Do you remember back in Matthew chapter 14? John the Baptist has just been beheaded. Jesus has had the feeding of what we call the feeding of the 5,000, but probably upwards to 20,000 people. Jesus learns that his cousin John the Baptist has died. He gets the disciples in a boat. He sends them across the lake. He goes, goes up on the mountain, and he's praying. In the middle of the night, he comes back down the mountain. He gets on the shore. He sees them in a boat, and a great storm has come upon the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus starts walking on the water to them on the other side of the lake. Lightning is flashing. They look out. Lots of superstition was connected to the Sea of Galilee. There were violent storms that would come up. And so it was uh, superstitiously believed that the demons would do these violent storms. They would come. And so we don't know fully what's behind this. But Jesus is walking. And instead of saying, this is Jesus, do you remember what they cry out? It is a what? It's a ghost. There's a ghost walking on the water to us. And then they realize through Jesus' word, no, it's me. And Peter says, Lord, can I come to you on the water? And the first time in his life he gets out of the boat, he's walking on the water, and Matthew 14 is really clear. He's got his eyes just fixed on Jesus. There's wind, there's waves, they are everywhere. And then he sa- it says that he notices those things, and he takes his eyes off Jesus, and what happens? He just sinks. And in a moment of desperation again, he cries out. He's in the water. He's not going to be able to make it probably because of the storms and the waves. And he cries out. And and I love what it says there. Jesus reaches down and lifts him up out of the water. See, he's already learned this lesson. I am to keep my eyes on Jesus. So he learns that early on in the ministry. Now at the end of the ministry, he's just been told, this is what's going to happen to you. Well, Lord, what about John? And he takes his eyes off Jesus and what he's heard. Instead of thinking about that, he fixes his eyes by way in a sense of comparison to want to know what is happening and taking place with John. Now in the moment, his friend John has again has become this man. And Peter is wondering, what about him? Now it's hard to know all of the reasons Peter is asking about John, but I think we can relate. At times when we are going through something, or we need something to come through for us, we can turn outward instead of inward to look at the Lord, and we wonder why we are going through something and somebody else isn't. We begin to compare, and when we do that, we will deal with the situation either rightly, we'll go, okay, uh, okay, I can't focus on that, and so I've got to fix my eyes back on Jesus, or we will get caught up in the comparison and continue to see how it seems like God is extra blessing other people and not taking care of us at all. Life can seem in those moments when we compare to be a little bit unfair. Sometimes our why questions in life are not always based in seeking the truthful answer. Sometimes we just ask why and we wonder things because we think it's a bit unfair. Now he knows John is going to follow Jesus. He's been with John for three years. 
He knows John loves Jesus. And so what about him? I've just learned what's going to happen to me. So I want to know now what's going to happen to John because John's going to follow Jesus as well. And I'm not totally for sure, but I've wondered about it. But I don't think Peter's question, again, is out of a great concern for John's future in the moment. Now, yes, he loves John. But Peter is, I'd like to have some insight so I can kind of compare how this is going to go. Now, let me state this because I think it's important. There are going to be, for all of us in the room that have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the majority of our faith walk is going to be very similar. We are all to follow every word that's in the Scripture. Are we in agreement about that? So we all have that in common. The difference is going to be this. For each of us, God has a different aspect of how He's gifted us, where we are, our education, where we live, if we're introverted or extroverted. There's going to be all kinds of things about our life that are going to be different where we are not going to be the same. It's just going to be different. Some of us have minds who think this way, and so in this kind of way that God uniquely made us, we live this way, and, it, and this kind of thinking takes us in different places. Some of us have do ministry. Some of us um, have uh, manual labor or hand, hand kind of jobs. Some of us speak more in our jobs, and, and we have all kind of different things. We have different backgrounds, and so, so we have a tremendous amount of common things, things, that we all have in similar together that we are to do as Christians. But then for most of us, it's different. So I, I love my wife. My, 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 my wife loves God's Word. She, she reads it all the time. She, she talks about it to me and shares great insights to me. But here's the reality. I can't follow Pam. I have to follow Jesus. Now I encourage Pam. Payments to encourage me, but I must fix my eyes on Jesus. Ultimately, God has the same plan in obedience for Pam as He does for myself as her husband. But then, but God's going to do something different with my wife. He's taken her through cancer. He hasn't taken me through cancer. There are things that she's learned about that that I've not learned. Now, I have the spouse's perspective of someone walking through cancer, but I don't have the perspective of walking through cancer. And I really want to emphasize this this morning because it's easy for us to begin to compare what's happening in somebody else's life, what's there, what their, what their job stress level is. is way less than my job stress level. And, and why is that the case? Why does mine seem to just continue to be this and this? And all the different kinds of things that we can say when we look at things. And ultimately, what it comes down to is this. You and me, each of us, we can't live our lives comparing ourselves to someone else. We are to fix our eyes on Jesus. And so here, Peter, in this moment, is wrestling with this. We each have our own road to walk. And we trust Him with our days. Now again, I want to just stress here, I'm not saying that we don't walk in community with one another. The Bible is full of instruction in regard to that. I'm just saying that how these days go and how they end, they are going to be different for every single one of us. For every one of us, they will be.
and how that looks like. So there's not a reason for us to get caught up in comparing our days because ultimately our days are in whose hands? God's. And if our days are in God's hands, who should we fix our eyes upon? Him. He's the one, Mark shared it a while ago, interestingly, we're going to get to it again here in just a moment. Psalm 90, we are taught to number our days. So we want to have great concern about the welfare of other people's walk. Julie, I, I want to be concerned about Julie's walk with the Lord. I need Julie to be concerned about my walk with the Lord. But God's going to do different things in Julie's life, in the path that she takes, in the path that I take, but we want to encourage one another. So we want to live in community with one another, but we want to remember, we want to remember that God's going to have some different paths for us along the way. And so we embrace our path and we walk it. We embrace our path and we walk it. Now I want you to go back there just for a second. Psalm 90, Mark read it a while ago, but I want us to look at it just for a moment so you can see it with your own eyes. Psalm chapter 90. It's a prayer of Moses. Psalm 90 verse 9. For all of our days, Psalm 99, 90 verse 9, sorry. For all of our days pass under your wrath. And we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So in light of all that, look at verse 12. So teach us, this is learned, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So we are to look at our life and see this is just a breath. And because it's just a breath and my days are in God's hands ultimately, therefore I must fix my eyes on Him. I listen and learn from other believers They encourage me. I encourage them. We walk together as a church in faith, encouraging one another to pursue Him in the days that He has allotted to us to have. And in those days that He has allotted us to have, we learn by by discerning, by reading the Word, by being faithfully walking in the Word. And as we do that, wisdom comes and we hold the days as significant. This month... On the 25th of August, I have another birthday. In some ways, I'm like, wow, I made it here. In some ways, I'm like, wow, I may get to live 30 more of these. However long it is. Listen, and I remind us, there is zero guarantee, zero guarantee of long days. And so because of that, that our life is in His hands, here's what we learn. What do we do? We make the most of what day? Today. Today. We make the most of today, and we learn to treasure it. And as we do that, 
Moses writes there, we gain a heart of wisdom to see that we should hold these days. Boy, at one time in our life, we thought our kids, we had five of them, were never going to get out of diapers. Do you remember some of those days you're like, is this ever going to end? Is this ever, ever, ever going to end? And now four are gone from the house. And it happens literally now looking back just like that. So if you've got young kids, be aware that it flies by and make the most of the days as you walk with Him in deep passion. So God's plan for us is not to live a comparison life. Some of you are going to live to 95 years old. Good luck to you. Some of us are going to live not much longer. We're not. Good luck to you. But here's the thing. However many days that we have, we have this wonderful opportunity to walk in these days with the sovereign God of the universe who holds the days. So I sometimes look around and I think, wow, what a cool life they have. And they do have a cool life. And I don't need to get jealous of it and think that somehow God has short-changed my life. He hasn't. He has a specific plan for each and every one of us. And for every one of us, we are to embrace it. Now I want to ask you to do one other thing. I want to ask you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. And then we're going to zoom through the rest of this talk. Hebrews 12. So Peter's like, well, what about this man, his friend John? And Jesus says to him in 22, if it's my will that John remains alive until I come back, Peter, what concern is that of yours? What is that to you? Why is is that a a big concern of yours? So that's not to be his concern. Jesus' concern is that Peter would fix his thoughts on the path that Jesus has for Peter. Not for the path that Jesus has for John, because they are going to be different. They're going to be different. So I want you to look with me and see, here's what we do. How do do we do this? Hebrews 12, verse 1. We're going to read 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, I told you we're going to spend the majority of our time here, and then we're going to kind of zoom through the rest of this. But I want to share five really practical things here for a moment that I think are really important for us 
in how we count our days and we make our days count. One is this. We join the cloud of witnesses in whom Jesus is their sole focus. It's interesting, this Greek word here for cloud of witnesses is a Greek word that means you're looking in the sky and there's just a big cloud. There's no individuality in the cloud. It's just a big cloud. It's just there. There's no unique indentions and outcroppings of it. It's just a large crowd. And that's, what, that's the word that's used here, this Greek word nephos. And it just means this. There is this great crowd of people in the Old Testament and the New Testament who loved Jesus with the deepest kind of passion, looking forward in the Old Testament to His coming and believing that He would come. And then those in the New Testament who came to salvation and walked with Him faithfully, naturally died or were killed as martyrs. And they've all gotten together and they have one common focus. One cloud, this, this cloud of witnesses made up of many people, but when you look at the cloud, there's no individuals. That person's greater, that person's greater, this person did this, this person has more significance, this person's this. The great cloud of witnesses have this one thing in common, is that they lived and now in heaven are joined together to proclaim and testify to the greatness of of Jesus. They are witnesses when they were here and now they're witnesses in heaven in his presence and witnesses and so we join them now this great mass of people whose faith rests on the honor and the glory of Jesus and he becomes our focus. Now we're not called to impress them We're just called to join them in making much of Jesus. So how do we do that? How did they do that? Well, the writer tells us here that there are four primary principles that when we decide to join the great cloud of witnesses, there are four really important things. And the first one is this, is we remove the weight that weighs us down and slows us down here. This word here says in, of, of, in verse 1 of Hebrews 12, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, so let us, let us also lay aside every weight. This is a picture of an athlete who in getting ready for a race trains hard, they drop weight, their muscles are stretched and strengthened so that they can run. The runner runs well, why? Because the runner's been running. Did you hear that? The runner runs well because the runner has been running. They've been pursuing Him. And that's what the cloud of witnesses did. They pursued Jesus. They pursued Jesus. They ran after Jesus. And so their life was strengthened. Why? Because they ran after Jesus. And as they ran after Jesus, they gained endurance. They learned. They persevered. But along the way... Something happens. I don't think I've ever told you this before, but I play this game called disc golf. Have I told you that before? Well, at this time of the summer, if you throw off of the fairway and into the woods or the weeds, and you walk in there, 
there are these things that have dried up and they cling to your pants. The little burrs, you know those little bitty brown burrs? And there's not a time that I go now because I can't keep it on the fairway always. And they just get on there. And if, they, if I take my bag in there and set my bag down, there's like 3,000 million on my towel. And it's almost, you, have you been there? You just almost have to throw the towel away. You can't get them all out. Now I want you to hear this. In this life, as we run after Jesus and we join the great cloud of witnesses, living to honor the glory of Jesus, there's going to be things that easily, it's called sin, that want to cling to us. And when they cling to us, they weigh us down. And so the writer says here, here's, here's how you fix your eyes on Jesus and you don't live a comparison life with everybody else. You just run in pursuit of Him. You learn. You, you receive the encouragement from others. But here's the thing. We must resist the things that cling to us. And this world is full of those things. This is the picture. This, this word clings means readily and cleverly resist the sin that knows how to cling to your life and entangle you. I tell you, sin knows how to destroy and slow you and I down. Here's the third thing in joining the great cloud of witnesses that we run with endurance. We run with endurance. Our faith, by the way, is a movement faith. We sit to learn. We're sitting this morning to receive. For what purpose this week? What's what's one of the greatest purposes of coming together this morning? To be together in community, receive and hear from the Lord the eternal word, to consider these things, to get ready during the week to do what? To live moving in our faith wherever it is that God has us. You go to places I cannot go to. I go to places that you don't go to. So we run our lives in these places that we go to, wherever they are. And we run in such a way of endurance, of resisting the things that want to cling to us and cause us to slow down. And we run with endurance. The word race here is a Greek word that means, listen to this, I love how these things flow into English eventually. So the Greek word for race is dromos, which is where we get the, get our, our Latin, the Latin word and English word agon, or eventually agony. This morning I drove out here to church and people were running on the streets. What are they doing? I don't know what they're doing. They can't breathe. It's hot. I trimmed limbs Friday in my backyard. By the time it was done, I looked like I just jumped in a swimming pool. Listen, that word there, do not miss this. Boys and girls, students, And every adult, let us run the race with perseverance is where we get the word agony. This life of following Jesus is not always easy, is it? The world's not going to applaud us because we take stands and have convictions about certain things. Even in the church at times, we're not going to get applauded because we're running passionately after Jesus. 
And the point that Jesus is making here and that the writer of Hebrews is saying this is that that doesn't matter. You fix your eyes on Jesus and you join the great cloud of witnesses of of removing the things that slow you down and the things that want to grab on and and get you. No, you, you, you get rid of those and you run with endurance. It will be difficult at times running after Jesus. And we'll have to fight. We'll have to hang on and we will need to endure. Here's the fourth principle. We therefore look to Jesus alone. Look back, look back with me there in Hebrews 12. Hopefully you're still there. Therefore, we're surrounded by this one great cloud of witnesses. We join them. This is how they lived. Let us lay aside every weight, the sin that, that clings so closely. Let us run with endurance. It will be difficult at times. The race that is set before us, and here's the fourth principle, looking to Jesus. Why? Why do we look to Jesus? Look what verse 2 says next. Who founded the faith? Did the Apostle Paul found Christianity? No, he did not. Jesus is the author and perfecter. He founded this relationship. It is His. We don't, we don't do this. He does this. And so therefore, since our days are held in His hands, we don't compare ourselves our lot with somebody else's. We run our race, joining with others who are running their race. And all of us have this one common theme, which is the glory and the honor of Jesus. We want to live in such a way, we want to run in such a way, that when this life is over, that we hear what words? Well done what? Good and faithful servant. That we ran in that kind of way. All of us have a course that is set by God that we are to run. Jesus did that as well. So therefore, the road is Jesus. He's the destination, and He's the road. He's the stops along the way. He is to be everything. Now look at the last part of 22. Don't you worry about John. If John's going to remain alive, by the way, wouldn't that be interesting if John was still alive 2,000 years later? and could visit us this morning. Jesus could make that happen, by the way. He's being hypothetical. John, Peter, if I want John to stay alive until I return again to the earth, you don't worry about that. You, what does he say? Two words. You follow me, Peter. Peter, follow me. You follow me. If we're going to follow him, then our eyes must be on the one We are following. And it is much easier to follow when our eyes are fully fixed on Him and not other people's lives. Too much comparing of our lives to others, their things, their circumstances, it will just cloud things that will never bring clarity. We are each to run the race that is set before us. Yes, many of those things are the same. And yet aspects of those things are going to be different where we work, how we are. And so John can encourage Peter in his faith, and no doubt John would do that. You see that in the early part of the book of Acts. But Peter's greater concern is not what happens with John, but he is to follow Jesus. So the challenge from Jesus to Peter was, you follow me. 
You are not to follow John nor the rest of the men. You're not to follow the majority. You, Peter, follow me. So his counsel is clear. For those of us in Christ, our calling is to follow him wherever he leads us, not where he is leading other people. Now, sometimes he may call us to go with those other people. That's, that's been true, to join them in, in ministry or whatever, but we are to follow him. And so Peter is to follow Jesus, even though he has just discovered that his following will lead to the end of his life. So let's talk about the third thing this morning, is that God's word requires us to listen and discern. Would you agree with me about that? God's word requires of us to listen and discern. So look at 23. So because of Jesus is hypothetical, if, if I want John to stay alive until I come back, Peter, what is that to you? So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple, John, was not going to die. And so John now, writing at the end of the first century, has to continue to correct what everybody's been saying for multiple decades now. So now he's like, okay, here's my chance to write it in stone. This is not what Jesus said. So John says, yet Jesus didn't say that he wasn't going to die, just that if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? So a confusion settled among the eleven that was not grounded in the truth. Now look up here. Can you imagine something happen like that among Christians? That they heard something that was not the truth, but became the truth. And they talked about it, and talked about it, and talked about it. John had to live the remainder of his days saying, No, no, that's, I was there. I was there when Jesus said the words to Peter. He didn't say that I was never going to die. And yet, he had to spend the rest of his days, and now, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, write it in writing for us to know to straighten things out. Do you see the point? I hope you do. If you don't, I'll bring it into focus. We've got to be really careful what we say about other people. And other people will make assumptions about us. That's, hello, welcome to life. And they will not be true. And we may have to live with those assumptions for the rest of our days. A prophet is not welcome in there where? Why? Because everybody knows the prophet, right? Somebody called one time and said, hey, do you want to come back to Waco and, and be a minister here in town? You know, everybody knows you. And I thought, no, I don't, I, I didn't, I would go if God called me to go. I didn't want to go back to Waco, but I would go if he said to. Maybe I would go kicking and screaming, but I would go. But I didn't want to go back because people will remember who I was. Some people had stories on me that were good, and some people had stories that were not so good. And sometimes it's hard to live those things down. So hear this. We must be careful how we talk, because it can influence people's perspective. 
So John hears, Peter hears. How did the others hear what Jesus said? Who probably told it? Peter. Peter told the other nine. Do you hear what Jesus said? John's not going to die. And now John, for the rest of his life, has to say, no, that's not, that's not, that's not, that's not, that's not, that's not what he said. Here's another point. This is a deep passion of life point. We must correctly handle the words of God as they are written and as they are taught. Paul said that to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15. You do your best, Timothy, to present yourself as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So for the rest of his days, John would have to deal with this. They tried to kill John. Early church tradition says that before he was put on the Isle of Patmos, that they tried to throw him in a boiling pot pot of oil to kill him. He survived that. There were other instances where um, he likely was in potential danger. And ultimately, we believe, we're not totally for sure, but we believe that he did die of natural causes at the end of the first century. He gets the revelation as an old man of what we know as the revelation. By the way, don't call it revelations. It's not revelations. It is the revelation, a long revelation, 22 chapters, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what that book is. And John gets that toward the end of the first century. And we'll meet him one day. I've been tremendously impacted by his life in these three years of teaching this. Um, I love that he's humble, he makes much of other disciples and is insightful and, and, and I love the way he writes about himself. So God's words requires us to listen and discern. Look at 24 now. So this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things and we know that his testimony is true. And I could spend a lot of time here, but I'm just going to briefly spend a moment. I said this probably three weeks ago, and I want to say it again, and I hope I'm even more firm and clear today. This book here, the one in your lap, the one on your tablet or your phone, whatever, whatever you have this morning, is incredibly sacred to us. And it's sacred to us because in it, God has spoken. And He spoke to men who wrote the words down. And these men were eyewitnesses. They were eyewitnesses of His majesty. They heard. They saw. They felt. They experienced it. They saw the life transformation. And so God desires us to live in the truth. And one of the things as we finish the Gospel of John this morning is is that we should see this. This testimony is reliable. Why? Because John walked literally with Jesus while he was here. And then listen, watch this. This is even more significant. 
They are, they are the only group who lived on both sides of this Jesus reality. They walked with Him physically. And then when Jesus left and the Spirit came, they walked with Him spiritually. So here's John. Walked with Jesus literally for three years. And then for about 50 to 60 years, five to six decades, walked with Jesus, remembering, writing, walking, obeying, preaching, proclaiming, starting churches, living for Him. And He's an eyewitness. And He has way better insight on Jesus than you and I do. Do you know why we have insight on Jesus? Because of John. So so let's be careful to not discount the eyewitness testimony that is the Old Testament and the New Testament. They are trustworthy reliable declarations and pictures of Jesus. So John just says, I'm the disciple that's bearing witness to this. I heard it and I saw it. Look at 25. He is the God in our midst who moves and works. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So I did a little research after hearing something this week. <clears throat> is everybody okay? Are you, is everybody okay this morning? Y'all okay this morning? Can I offend you for a second? And me, and offend me too. There's nobody real impressive in the room this morning. Nobody. Um, maybe you're going to invent something one day and you're going to go down the history books. I, I don't know. But as I look around the room, I love you and I hope you love me, but we're, you know, we're just regular old people. Uh, probably not going to have buildings named after us and things of that nature. So somebody did some research on just a common person's life. They live about 60 to 70 years. How many books could be written about the things that they did every day, the things that they said, letters they wrote, things they did in their job, what they did in recreation? And they came up with this figure, and again, I'm just trusting these people. They seem to know what they were talking about. That just the common person's life, you could fill 320 libraries of just a common person's life of just following around their day-to-day things, writing down the things that are there. 320 libraries. Do you see the significance of verse 25? That when the Son of God was here, John writes that you couldn't, you couldn't li- li- literally, listen to this, you couldn't literally fill the earth with the things Jesus did. Do you know who invented the cloud? Not Google. Jesus did. Because literally, the things that he did and said would go all the way up to what? The clouds. And John writes there, I suppose in that three and a half years, just that and then even more than that, that the whole world couldn't even contain what Jesus did. So I remind you and I this morning that the God in our midst who's present in the room this morning moves and works. And I'd like to think of when I read this here, 
that Jesus is waiting to tell the rest of the story when we arrive in his presence. And we'll get to know things that we never knew before that John didn't have the time to write for us. So here's some takeaways. Fix our eyes on Jesus and his word. Fix our eyes on Jesus and his word. Follow Jesus, not someone else. God has a purpose and plan for them. Learn from them. Be encouraged by them, but follow Jesus. Thirdly, be careful to not ever look at God as not good. Here's what I mean by that. Sometimes we can look at others and go, gosh, like I could do this. I have kids that I poured my life into when I, back when I was a youth minister. I don't know if y'all can believe that or not, but I used to be a youth minister. And I poured my life into them for years. And they have big, they're pastors now, and their churches are larger than mine. And so, I'm not going to say I don't ever struggle with that. But sometimes you go, God, I poured into them. How about me? No, no, we don't get to do that. You will have a Christian friend that you love that may have more blessings than you'll have. So what do we do with that? We have to be okay with that. We have to remember they are following his plan. We are to follow his plan for us. And we should never think that he has... Listen, we should never think that he's held back from any of his children. Is he good? Yes. He's good. Fourthly, we have got to let go of other people's views of us and things that they say of us. And that's a hard one, isn't it? It's a hard one. John had to live with it for the rest of his life. 2,000 years later, on this August morning... 2022, we're still trying to help John correct a misunderstanding that his brothers had of him that he would never die. So sometimes these things are, people are just going to have their views of us. They're going to say things that they're going to hurt. We'll have to live with them. But we've got to, we've, we've got to let go of those things. Lastly, Therefore, since he's the God whom we can't even write all the things that he's done, he's done so much, we should want more of him who does more. We should want more of the one who does more. And we should fix our eyes on him. Closed. We finished studying Gospel of John. Let's pray.